Monday, November 29th, and this is Season 6, Episode 14 of the Four Stars Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week, we have Joe. Hello there. Uh, returning to the podcast, we have uh, Tall Rick. Hello, everybody. And uh, returning, uh, also, it's been a little while for you as well, uh, Kevin. Hey, what's up, guys? Well, um, I want to start the, this conversation... This weekend, we were supposed to have uh, a match. I was actually very excited to, to watch it. I had uh, my plans all set, ready to go, and saw the lineup. I was getting excited about it, and then all of a sudden, I found out this this whole thing had been snowed out. Um, so um, I want to start the conversation with a question that we got. Uh, this one comes from loyal listener Suge, and Suge asks us on Twitter, as fellow Midwesterners, do you think they could have uh, played on that snow? If they did go on, would that have been an advantage or disadvantage for Spurs? Kevin? Well, first off, none of us are actually Midwesterners, right? Rick, were uh, you born here? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, right? no I'm, okay. I'm a Minnesota guy. All right. So and, we have one we true Midwesterner. Suge is a Minnesota guy, too. And uh, yeah. so... Minnesotans are like Chicagoans. They think any amount of snow is, you know, uh, overcomable. So I get why the question came from the uh, the Great North. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I remember. Oh, I, I was just gonna say I remember that there was that classic uh, USA Costa Rica match, uh, um, like up in uh, I think that was Denver. Denver, yeah. Where it was just like almost like a foot of snow that they were playing. They played that match in. It was a it was a royal mess. The U.S. ended up winning that match, but uh, uh, but I do think that our sensibilities, at least in this country, are that yeah, we can play through it if we have to. I think it was more the around the grounds is what I read. Uh, it was like traffic getting to the stadium and stuff like that. Like the team didn't arrive until like like an hour before kickoff or something like that. Um, but you know, they don't postpone it very often. I think it's the first time since 2010 that they've postponed a premier league match due to snow. So it must've been pretty bad and the pictures did not look good. Uh, and I think the other part of the question was who would it, uh, who would it favor? I think it definitely would have favored Burnley. Um, I think Rick said in our group chat, uh, that Sanchez has has enough trouble staying on his feet when it's dry. So imagine what that would have been like. So yeah, I think definitely would have uh, helped Burnley out. Yeah, yeah, to- totally agree, Kevin. It, it would have helped Burnley. Um, you know, when you first hear about that, you're always like, "What? come on, give me a break. They show the pictures, and yeah, us, us Midwesterners look at that and go, yeah, come on, we could knock that out in 15 minutes in our own driveway, right? What's the holdup here? But but like you said, the, the infrastructure in the UK is just not equipped to handle this stuff. We were visiting several years ago in March, early March. And I think there was like one inch of snow on the ground in London. And it's like the city had to shut down. You know, there were people with like these little plastic kitty sand pail shovels that were like trying to shovel their side, their cobblestone sidewalks, you know? So uh, I think we take for, we take advantage, uh, you know, or take for granted a little bit uh, of what we can clear here. And uh, they just can't do the same there. But yeah, if it would have just been about like clearing the pitch, they should have been able to do that. And, uh, you know, we could speculate on conspiracy theories about if Burnley wanted to actually play that day or not, given all their injuries. But uh, I think it's legit. You know, England just cannot handle snow, you know, period. So and uh, here, let's let's ask the English sure. guy for his thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to back you up a million percent there, Rick. I, I when I lived in Manchester, 
I remember it would snow and uh, yeah, like an inch has probably been generous. It was probably less than an inch and the, the entire transport system would grind to a halt. Um, none of the buses would be able to run. It was absolute chaos. It's, it's pathetic. And especially compared to over here in Chicago when it snows and life just goes on as normal and it's just a, you know, almost a normal thing. Um, so yeah, probably the infrastructure around the ground as well. Burnley's ground is pretty small. There's not the most sophisticated transport network around that. So maybe that was it. But you know, you, you alluded to these conspiracy theories, Rick. Um, and it was <laughs> just before I say that it was so funny, wasn't it, seeing Sean Dyche out there in just his shirt sleeves, right? No jacket or anything like that. <laughs> it's like yeah. totally yeah, the, the, the Minnesotan like, guy, and he's going to say Bud Grant, the old Minnesota Vikings coach, would be proud, man. Bud Grant used to walk in that stuff in sub sub zero temperatures and short sleeves. So yeah, he he'd have been proud. Yeah, Dyche was he was loving it. Um, but I absolutely agree with what you guys already said. It would have absolutely favoured Burnley, even if um, you know, this conspiracy theory you mentioned, Rick, where they're missing, I think, three or four players. You know, they're players like Ashley Barnes and uh Westwood, you know, they're not exactly they weren't even the main players of Burnley that were missing. And just the idea of Chris Wood competing with Sanchez for a high ball in the snow i mean there's only, like come on we would have got destroyed it would have been brutal um so i was delighted that this game was <laughs> this game was postponed I, I wish we could postpone all our games after the transfer window to be honest so this was <laughs> one that we can check off at least well and i don't know i don't think there's any truth like i know there were rumors going out there that they di didn't have heaters or they should have had heaters they did have heaters uh, on the field um uh, whether they were working right or whether they they wanted this to get snowed out, I doubt it. They probably wanted the match played, but I think this is good for us because we'll probably play this one in January now, and and maybe we'll have some uh, transfers in at that point, which will benefit us a little bit more when we we take when we have an extra game added into the middle of the schedule. So, I. I I don't see how this is a a lose for us, even though I think the yeah the snow would favor favor Burnley, uh, but probably both teams are ha kind of happy that this is postponed. Uh, Rick, yeah the the only reason I would say it might have been advantageous for us to play that game is that we probably just suffered one of the most embarrassing losses in our our franchise's history and. I expect you would have gotten a reaction, right? Like Conte would have demanded a reaction to that. So uh, it's not too absurd to think that we might have, you know, in normal conditions, just, you know, just ran them off the pitch yesterday. I know we, we haven't really done anything to earn that yet performance-wise this year, but I, I get the sense we were fixing to take out some frustration on somebody. So um, it might have been just as advantageous for them as it was for us to, to you know, uh, postpone. Yeah, yeah, and that that might be a good segue into uh, the next topic of conversation, which is uh, uh, the this conference league match that we had against Murrah on, uh, on Thursday. It was here, Thanksgiving here in the United States, uh, so a lot of us were wa watched that match like we would uh, like an uh, American football game uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Um, kind of gathered around the TV. We're doing stuff with family, so we're only half paying attention, but. Um, but this was a setup to um, to be a bit stronger of a, a side going it, it uh, going away. Um, um, clearly, like a, a win could have solidified 
um, are, uh, are getting out of the group in the, the conference league. So there, there was that. Uh, but we saw like a, a mixed squad. We saw a couple names omitted. I think some of us thought this might be an opportunity for a Bergvine, but he didn't even travel with the team. Um, but we went into it and we did get a uh, Ryan Sessignon and uh, coming back from injury. This was his big start. And I think that's, that that's what was uh, one of the the worst parts about about this match for me was watching a guy that I really want to see um, show that he, he he can be that rotational player for us uh, in a wing back position that's really important to a Conte squad. And we got this out of him. We got we got these two yellow cards that led to a, a sending off in uh, the thirty first minute. Um, so. Uh, what do you guys think about this? I'm going to go to Kevin first on this. Yeah, um, you know, on Sessignon, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, it's a young player. Probably, if he had more experience, wouldn't have went in for that second challenge. I mean, the ref was giving out yellows left and right. I mean, beyond Sessignon's first one, I think he'd given out three or four in between his first one and the red, or in the second one. Um, the second challenge, you know, it's it's rough. He's going in for the ball. It's uh, questionable, but if he's not already on a yellow, none of us are saying it's like a terrible uh, challenge or anything like that. The one positive out of it, I think, uh, Conte had him on the bench for the Burnley game when the lineup came out. So it's like he's fully – he could have been punishing him, punishing him and left him off the squad completely, but he included him. So – doesn't seem like he's like done for or anything like that. So, uh, but you know, overall pretty poor performance by us until the subs came on. Uh, go ahead, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to follow up on your, your comments on, on Sessegnon too. So yeah, when, when I was watching the game, you know, I went back and looked at it again and neither one of them were very egregious. Right. So, you know, they were probably a little bit what you'd characterize as soft, but the thing that struck me was how, the first one, they sort of had a little bit of a break on, but it wasn't all that dangerous, and they were still in their own half. So it was kind of a dumb, dumb decision in my point, or in my mind. Um, the second one, even though I felt like he barely touched the guy, it was a bit of a dangerous lunge in. So I get why the, the yellow got produced, even though he didn't really touch him. But what just struck me as catastrophically stupid was where it was. They were like all the way backed up in their own third. There was no threat there. There was no reason to do that. He had him completely boxed in practically in a corner. So to lunge in like that, I mean, that yellow was probably half for, you know, the clumsiness of the lunge and the other half just for the, the dumbness, you know, and even trying to execute it. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a young player making young player mistakes and, you know, he, he can certainly learn from that and bounce back from it. But um, yeah, two, two very, very questionable moments from him. Yeah. What do you Joe? got, Joe? Yeah, I think I think we've been very generous here. This was the worst result, I think, in 30 years plus for Tottenham. This was disgrace, absolute disgrace. Even taking the yellow, uh, sorry, the red card out of the equation. I know it was early in the game and obviously had a big impact on the outcome. But even then, you're 30 minutes in and you're losing to a team of, I mean, these guys are... I don't know if any of you watched uh, over the international break, England played uh, San Marino and they beat them 10-0. And that's what 
I mean, these guys are basically at that level. They're not far removed from that level. That's what should happen when Premier League, and forget the fact it's Tottenham even, any Premier League or any top elite team with these facilities, with these players, with these resources that we have, to lose to a team of just like amateur players is is beyond belief. I cannot believe that we lost this game. I, I still cannot get my head around the fact that we lost it. Um yeah, the red card, obviously, you, like you guys exactly said, Sessegnon, you know, he, he had a chance and he made a complete mess of it. But even other than that, we were just absolutely dreadful. This is like Conte must just be in disbelief that we can lose to a team like this. It's it's incredible that we lost this game. Yeah, Rick. Yeah. And Joe, uh, it's funny that you mentioned like, you know, what level, you know, the the level gap between us. So I, I went and looked it up. I was very curious about this, right? Like what, just how bad of an upset was this? And it honestly isn't as bad as I think we think it is. So the Slovenian league, I, I looked this up on the UEFA coefficient table. They're actually 31 out of 55 for like just club national competition. So that was a lot higher than I anticipated. I'd, I'd say they're kind of like in that maybe sixth tier of Euro football, right? You've got, Premier League, La Liga, et cetera, and then maybe France and, you know, uh, Portugal or, you know, a tier below, et cetera, and you keep going down. Um, so I, it's not quite – I was what, what the question I was really trying to answer was, is this the equivalent of losing to Marine in the FA Cup a couple of years ago? And it's, it's not quite that, but it's close. So you're right. It's absolutely up there on the Mount Rushmore of embarrassing losses in our history. Uh, yeah. Kevin, you wanted a quick point, right? Uh, yeah, the point I was going to make was that they're – they're the lowest ranked team in the Europa, what is it, Europa Conference League. I can never say that right. Um, and that's just, like like Joe said, it's it's unacceptable. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely disgusting. It's, it's the worst. Uh, and the way it happened, you know, uh, getting somebody sent off, making a bunch of changes. We start looking good and then giving up a, a last second, like literally last second goal. Um, so, but go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kevin. I didn't mean to jump in there. Um, yeah, I had to just add to what Rick was saying because I, I also did the same thing, Rick. We're obviously creatures of the same habits. Um, I looked up, <laughs> and it's uh, apparently Burton Albion, who are like a League One team. It's it, they they were given as an example of the equivalent. Like it's like losing to a lower League One team, which I, I, when we lost to Colchester on penalties in the League Cup uh, three years ago on the Poch. Um, I I think they were League One, so you could argue that was as bad, but at least that was a draw, technically, the game. Um, but yeah, it, it really is terrible, like like you're saying, Kevin. It's, it's, it's hard to get your head around how we can lose to a team like this. And you've... The thing for me is you can look at individuals, right? So you can look... I'm sure we'll get into it when we do, you know, break it down a bit more and LVP and all that. And you can say, oh, this guy was terrible, this guy's... But... As a group of players, as a collective group, this team has, like, we've lost this game. We lost to Pacos de Ferreira, Portuguese team. We lost to Vitesse. We lost to Antwerp. Colchester, like I mentioned, we let in seven to Bayern at home. And even ones that we kind of forget about, like when we, all we had to do was get a result at Bournemouth to get in the Champions League. I think it was three years ago. And we somehow contrived to get two men sent off and lost to them when they were not even really trying. They had a kidding goal and they weren't asked. This is a this is habitual. This isn't a one-off. This isn't like, oh, what a crazy... This is like... 
if you look at our, especially in Europe, our away results, we lose to shit teams all the time now. This happens all the time in Europe. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I think this kind of transcends saying player X is shit. We need to sell player Y. I think this is like a huge collective thing. And I don't know what the answer is, but uh, this is something that's uh, it, it's a lot bigger than this one match. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, Pochettino saying, you know, Tottenham lives in this really nice house, but it has really shit furniture, essentially. Um, every manager since him has said similar things. It is not, it is, it is like a, a core issue with the squad, like Joe said. Like, this is like in our DNA at this point. Like, we lose these games pretty regularly. And if you look at Liverpool and City and Chelsea, it does not happen to them. They do not lose to teams of this caliber, like, ever, even if they have, like, their third squad out there. Um, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's just confusing. Like, it, like that team, especially once we made this, the substitutions, it was basically, like, our starting 11 for the most part. And, like, we relied on two defenders just watching Lucas thread a ball right right between them both of them look at each other harry has an amazing finish on it of course but like that's the only only goal we have like it's just it's embarrassing do you guys think that conte has has to see matches like this so that he can be the one to fix this problem if we really legitimately think that he is the guy that that can fix tottenham um rick yeah, yeah. No, I, I think he does. You know, I, I liken something like this to like chemotherapy, right? Like the, the best thing that maybe can happen to us is to give him the full experience in this compact amount of time, right? Like don't give him any false sense of security or, or you know, uh, comfort with, with anybody. This is, this is what it means to, to be Spurs, right? So any manager that comes in that didn't know that already needs a lesson in it. So getting this lesson right off the bat is, is probably good. And um, the only other thing I wanted to add here, like when we hired Conte, I, again, I, I think he is the, the one guy out there that can do this, right. That can come in and kind of sweep away the old culture and bring in a new culture with that strong, you know, mentality that you need to, to avoid stuff like this. Um, but I, I always think there was a brilliant tweet that I think somebody uh, responded to men in blazers about after they announced the Conte hiring. And the guy said, I can't remember who it was. Apologies for not being able to uh, attribute it correctly. But uh, he said, if there's one guy that can fix Tottenham, it's Conte. And if there's one team that can break Conte, it's Tottenham. And that was to me the perfect, perfect tweet. And I, and I think Antonio gets that now. Um, and we're going to see, you know, we, we've got a, you know, irresistible force in Conte meeting up against a pretty immovable object in uh, Spursiness. So, uh, I, like I said, I think he's the one guy, you know, one of, one of very few guys out there that could do it. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he tackles the problem because it's hard to define. Kevin? Yeah, I, I, is Conte the guy that can fix Tottenham? I, he can't do it by himself. Like, Levy has to open up the purse strings. Uh, Paratici and has to do his job correctly which so far you know I love the the quotes we're hearing from Conte about his relationship with Paratici uh and how they speak the same language and he didn't mean Italian I love that quote uh but uh it's it's a it's going to take the, the three of those guys I think to work together all be on the same page 
to move forward. Uh, the one thing I like is that Conte is, you know, like I said, he's already pointed it out. He understands there's a, a big issue and it's not just, it's not just Levy. It's the players. It's, it's the whole attitude at the club needs to be pretty much changed and the way we're going to move forward. And I just hope we give him enough time and people don't lose their minds as we tend to do uh, in this day and age with instant gratification and Twitter and whatnot. You know, we have to give him two full windows at, at the very least before we even consider anything out. You know, I, I don't know, but yeah, go ahead, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you nailed it. There's three factors here, right? I, I think we've seen enough out of Paratici to know at least he at least has the right approach, right? He operates the right way. He might not always get the right guy, but I think we can trust that he knows what he's doing. Conte's record speaks for itself. We know he's capable of, of you know, doing this for us. The third variable that you mentioned was Levy's checkbook, right? And that's always been the one that's highly suspect and not likely to happen. But why I'm so encouraged about Conte agreeing to take this job in season, you know, he, Antonio can tell us that he was too emotionally involved in his last job and not ready yet. That's nice. It's a good excuse, whatever. Sure thing. I guarantee you the reason he took this job now was that Daniel Levy was not willing to make certain financial concessions this summer. And once he saw what a mess he had gotten himself into, either he realized it and did this on his own or the board went to Levy and said, you need to fix this shit or you're out. And he knows that now is the time to back the manager and, and get him what he needs. So I've never been more confident that Levy will actually follow up his talk with action in this particular case. I agree yeah. with you. Uh, well, and I'll let you tackle this first and get your point in as well, Joe. But um, my concern is uh, kind of some of these financial uh <laughs> issues with uh with Paratici coming from Italy and Juventus right now um th there was there's a pretty pretty serious investigation and now some of it seems like it's going to be coming down on uh Spurs do you guys think that there's going to be any negative impact on his ability to do what we're talking about um uh with uh with Conte's uh what Conte's wants is is this going to be problematic for uh what we we need to do to repair this squad. And uh, I'll let Joe tackle it first because uh, he had his hand up. Yeah, I mean, in terms of this specific situation in Italy with the, you know, investigation, it's it's hard to say. I mean, who knows what what's going to come of that? This kind of thing is commonplace in Italian football. You know, we've had a lot of scandals um, in Italian football. I just I don't know what Paratici is supposedly done here or it, it may well just go away and be a non-issue. I think in the immediate, uh, in the short term, it, it's not going to interfere with anything um, in terms of planning for the January transfer window. I, I don't anticipate anything serious coming from this. I must say, I don't know a lot about the, the specifics of this investigation. I, I think it'll, it'll probably go away. Um, and the, Paratich is busy planning for January because, like you're all saying here, it's um, it, it's going to have a huge impact on our season. I know January is not the ideal transfer window to to do business, as they kind of traditionally say. It's not the better window to do it, but we we're in a pretty desperate situation here. We need to do some business, and specifically, Rick and Kevin talked about buying players. I actually think 
a lot of it hinges on the opposite of selling play. I, I think that's been our problem at more than buying players is selling play. We never sell players at the right time. We we wait too long. We hold out for unrealistic fees and we end up getting saddled with players who kind of like Delhi, who we can't get rid of now. You know, we're going to struggle. Who's going to pay? And Don Belly, who's going to pay his wages? £200,000 a week? No one's going to pay that for Don Belly, are they? I, I, so I, I think... That's the challenge, really, that I'm interested to see from Paratici. I, I'm sure he's got a lot of players lined up, um, but it's raising the money to get them by getting people out the door. That's going to be the... Is Levy going to allow Deli Ali to be sold for 20 million, 18 million or whatever? I'd, I'd, he probably still thinks somehow that we can get 60 million for Deli Ali, which is totally unrealistic. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll see on that one. It would be uh, the spursiest thing of all time for us to bring in this dynamic duo that's going to save us, and they both go to prison. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that would be what happens to us. Well, the, well the we last... lost to, we lost to a manager who was in jail, didn't we, last season? Exactly. So, I was gonna yeah. I was gonna say going to jail uh, does wonders for your team. They go out and win the next day uh, if you're playing Tottenham, apparently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick, I think you wanted to chime in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to respond to, you know, again, I'm with Joe. I don't know all the the gory details here uh, as far as what he's actually, you know, apparently being investigated for. But um, just as somebody that works in the financial services industry, I can tell you that, um, quote unquote, laws in Italy are a bit more flexible than laws in the United States. Um, And, you know, paying taxes, accounting, it's all a little bit more of an art there than a science. Whereas here, you know, it's a little bit more of a, you've got some some requirements and, you know, certain restrictions placed upon you. So um, based on what I've heard so far, I, I don't see any, you know, long-term liability for Paratici, even if they do find that he might've been uh, engaged in a little bit of shady bookkeeping. You know, that's usually nothing that a, a well-placed donation or, you know, or a fine doesn't take care of. So um, until we hear more, it's not something I'm going to worry about too much. Okay, well, let's bring it back to the match a, a, a little bit here, because I do think the second half looked a little bit better than the first. Obviously, we were already playing down a man, so we, it was going to take an uh, act of will um, and our superior talent to be able to uh, pull a result out of this. And for a while, it looked like... Um, after we fought through and and got the uh, the the Harry Kane goal in the the seventy second minute, that we'd be able to uh, hold that to uh, at least a draw and walk away with our heads down a little bit, but um, but but still another point in this uh, th- this group w- where we could be fairly confident that we were getting out of it at that point, um, but. Uh, they came through with that last minute uh, 90 plus four goal where it, we were just put to bed at that point. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about that second half. Um, Kevin. Yeah, I think, you know, bringing on uh, or making, I think we made four changes at once. Right. And then another one later on. Um, and bringing Dyer on made a huge huge difference in our defense we shit on him a ton but i mean he brought stability to that back line uh we looked so much more organized once he came on uh he just took control uh which is something that we you know claim that 
we need in our squad is somebody out there yelling at people and, you know, giving direction. I think he was, you know, I don't know if he felt slighted by not starting or if Conte is just in his ear, like you need to get out there and handle this. Uh, like we're leaning on you, whatever it was. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say he was my MVP uh, of the match. He, he made a huge difference. Um, and, you know, I think, but it shouldn't have taken that. That's the issue. Like it should not have taken us bringing on Hoiberg, Son, Dyer, and I think it was Lucas uh, all at once. Go ahead. Yeah, Eric. yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, I think Dyer, Davies, and Son came on um, initially, and then Hoiberg might have come a little bit after that. But uh, I totally agree. We looked a lot more composed in the back with Dyer. We looked a lot more aggressive and assertive on the attack with Sun. He brought some energy. He got things going. We certainly were were much more threatening in the second half after those subs came on. And we maintained that for, for most of the second half. We had some shots. We're still we still struggle a lot to create actual, you know, good looks and put shots on goal. I think that was another match against, you know, the six tier team where we didn't have a shot. Did we even have a shot on goal in the first half? I, I don't recall if we did. So we go, you know, we get into these funks where we just can't seem to kind of even, you know, nobody can even take like a 30-yard thunderbolt, you know, just to get it on net and try and get something going. Um, but those subs made a made a big difference. And then at the end, um, you know, I guess I'll give you a not-so-subtle preview of my LVP. But uh, I just wanted to point out that that second goal was the almost – it wasn't a carbon copy exactly, but the same move beats Davinson Sanchez as for the first goal. He gives, you know, you always want to funnel these guys towards the baseline, right? And he doesn't. He overplays it. They cut back in. He's given them miles of space. On the first one, he actually slipped. So the guy had tons of space. But on that second one, he did the same thing again. He lets the guy cut right across his face. And then our, our goalkeeper is kind of helpless at that point. And the deflection obviously didn't, didn't help either. But I think that ball was going in either way. It was Sanchez just being in poor position, not using the right technique, not being able to stay on his feet. It's all the same thing that we've seen from him for the last two years. So, uh, Joe? Yeah, Rick, I could not agree with you more. You've hit the nail on the head with Sanchez. Absolutely shocking defending. He he does this all the time. Um, if you remember when we lost to Zagreb in that other, <laughs> one of the long catalogue of embarrassing defeats when we lost to the, the manager in jail, um, he did exactly the same thing. He showed a guy... And this is what I, w- I even wonder about our like preparation for matches. Do we even like look at the opposition and say, this guy's left-footed, this guy? Because the guy who scored the first goal, he's left-footed. You could tell that just watching the game for the, you know, so surely Sanchez realizes he's left-footed, show him on the outside so he can't shoot with his better foot. And he lets him, it, that, I mean, that's the kind of thing at an amateur level, you'd be shocked by that defending. So to see that from an international defender he's incredible really and like you say he can't stand up on his feet he's slipping all over the place falling over I mean it's got to be a confidence thing to a large extent because you can't possibly just lose all of your ability in a couple of years it, it's got to be psychologically he's just like defeated and he's just a shell of the player that we had when he first signed when he looked a really exciting prospect um the regression of Davinson's been absolutely shocking to see. I, I don't think we've ever seen a player deteriorate to that extent. Um, that he's just a liability. And 
not to take it back to the Burnley game, but when I saw that lineup against Burnley, that was my first thought was, oh my God, Davinson's in the team. Like, how how can he be in the team after that performance? And it's just like, Conte needs three centre-backs to play his preferred formation and we just don't really have any many options. And Sanchez is one of the few that we do have. And it's just a matter of smudging through until we can replace him, I think. But yeah, totally agree, Kevin? Rick. It's terrible. Yeah, that was a point I was going to make was that Sanchez was back in the lineup. I think the big difference would have been Davies would have been on the left of the back three. Sanchez would have been on his more preferred side, the right, because he was playing on the left against, um, is it Mira? Mira? Mura? I don't even know how to pronounce it. Um, But that's still no excuse. Like like Joe said, it's amateur hour, the way he looked out there, whether you're in a comfortable position or not. But like... I just don't get why he's the guy that Conte has so much confidence in. Um, like Rodon did not play. I mean, not that he played great or anything, but he did nothing wrong in that match and he gets subbed off and Sanchez stays on. It's just, and then we come to Burnley and Sanchez is in the lineup. Like I just don't. And it's, it's not just Conte. Other managers have done the same thing. And I don't know what it is about him because all of us as, as fans are like, why is this guy stepping foot on the pitch? I don't get it. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I got a theory on that, and I, I don't think it's just Sanchez either. You know, when you've got a new manager in, as we have so frequently these last couple of years, um, I think I think what most managers try to do, or at least most good ones try to do, is uh, you know, there's the old saying about I'm going to give you some rope, and you can either use it to sort of pull yourself up, or you can use it to hang yourself, right? So I think what Conte's doing is he's he's putting, you know, some rope down for each of our players and he wants to see what they do with it. Sanchez is absolutely like double knotting his own noose and jumping off the jumping off the chair all on his own. Right. He doesn't even need a push um, the way that he's playing. So I, I think that's maybe why you saw him back in there. Conte might be saying, all right, you were garbage on Thursday. You know it. I know it. Everybody that watched knows it. Now show me how you respond to that. And, you know, I think that's kind of what he's looking for. I might be way off here, but, you know, that's kind of what I'd be curious to see. Um, And he's still in that honeymoon period where Conte can kind of do that, right? You know, he knows that nobody's expecting an overnight turnaround. So this is where you learn about people. Um, Just to get back to what Joe said, I am equally shocked at the regression that we've seen from Dobinson. That first year he played with us, like I legitimately at the end of that season, I think we might have even voted him our defensive player of the year uh, or something. Um, but like I, I was like, okay, there we go. There's our next Ledley King. You know that that's how good he looked, and to see where he is now, and it is 100% confidence. Like he looks so nervous when he's got somebody closing him out, and he's got the ball at his feet. He just wants to get that thing away from him as fast as possible. He is absolutely playing scared right now. I, I don't know if, if he can be fixed. I I think a little bit later, Anthony, we're going to talk, you know, about maybe what we want to see in January and, and some changes. And I kind of put together a little list of get rid of them and I don't know. And then, you know, here's some skills I think we need to bring in because I, I don't know the players internationally that well. Um, but Davidson's still in that. As crazy as it sounds, he was so good that one year and as bad as he is now, you just feel like there's still something to be salvaged in there. And maybe Conte's the guy to do it. So if we were still with one of our former managers, I'd say get rid. But with a new manager, I, I think maybe he... Still has a chance, but it sure doesn't look promising. Yeah, well, Kevin, uh, uh, go ahead and reply to that, and then I'll let you roll into your LVP, whether it's Sanchez okay. or not. Uh, yeah, just to kind of 
touch on Sanchez's regression. Like the thing I remember before he came to us was uh, the Europa game against Manchester United when he played for Ajax and the way that he was just tracking guys down, like not overrunning them. Like he was so controlled with his speed. It was like, he, he just was like a machine. Um, and now it's just like, he has no control over his own body almost. Like he's just like completely out of control. Um, LVP uh, is going to be Sanchez and that's with a guy getting sent off the pitch. So that tells you really how bad is, uh, I mean, he's at fault basically for both goals. Um, the second one, not quite as much. Uh, I can't remember who turned over the ball to them uh, there David. at the end. It, it, it was Davies, but he, he okay. slipped. Yeah. He, he slipped yeah. too. Um, and it was a bit of an accident. So not fully his fault, but yeah. So yeah. one and a half goals are his fault. Um, I just, I don't know if there's anybody else. A honorable mention for MVP is their goalkeeper for wearing the number 69. Cause like, <laughs> what, I'm yeah. just like flat, like there, he, he's clearly doing that for that reason. And it's just hilarious to me. So I, I made a note of that in my game notes. I'm just like, yes, th- this is like a high school level team because he's pulling high school level numbers. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Rick, who's your LVP? Yeah, yeah, I, I was going to go Sanchez, as I teased earlier, with a dishonorable mention to to Cess for getting sent off for two pretty stupid fouls. Um, everybody else was more mediocre than terrible, I would say. Um, so maybe a little bit of a, a consolation LVP for even though Kane scored the goal. It's like he almost spent too much time with Lamella and, and Lucas Mora because he, like, can't not turn the ball over anymore. Um, and, and he was very wasteful too. Um, so I guess I just wanted to get a little plug in for, for Harry not being at the top, even though he scored a goal, but way to set up uh, Harry way to set up the dude that got uh, waylaid by the Burnley snow with uh, an invitation to another game in the future. So a uh, very classy <laughs> move there. So I, I, there, there's the compliment sandwich for you there. I, I dumped on you and then I complimented you too. So yeah. Well, and I, and I will take, uh, um, I agree with everything you guys are saying about Davis and Sanchez, but I, I, I if Sessegnon doesn't get two yellow cards, we're not in the same position that we were in. I think we would have been able to come back from this game and probably hold it if we, if they didn't have a man up on us. Uh, so I have to give my LVP to Sessegnon, despite how bad Sanchez was in this match. Um, uh, Joe, who do you have for LVP? Yep, I'm with you, Anthony. It's got to be Session Yon, just uh, so reckless. Um, like Kevin, I think, was saying earlier on, it was just so unnecessary. That part of the pitch where there was no danger, you know, sometimes when you see a yellow card, you think, ah, I understand he had to take a risk. But with doing it there, there was no danger. It was just such a reckless sort of boneheaded thing to do. It's got to be Sancho, uh, sorry, it's got to be Session Yon for that reason alone but there are so many contenders i'm glad rick mentioned kane i thought kane in the first half looked like he was half asleep like he looked so disinterested and unengaged and maybe it's a bit of arrogance from some of the players not just i'm not just singling out kane maybe a a lot of them felt you know this team's and these other teams vitesse and these other guys are beneath them and they don't have to try and they can just show up and the fact that we keep losing to these teams probably should be a bit of a reality check but um Yes, Sessegnon uh, is my LVP. And none of us mentioned Deli Ali, who I think did not perform great either here. Disappointing that he gets another start and uh, and looks like shit. But 
but yeah, I think the other guys have to top him in that that list. Uh, there, there's a handful of guys that looked worse than Deli Ali, despite him not looking good. Um, uh, Kevin, uh, quick comment, and then give us your, your if you have an MVP, if anybody has an MVP. Yeah, you're. I just wanted to touch on Deli. Um, you know, like this should be a game where he excels and is able to have some time on the ball. It's not as fast as. Uh, the Premier League, yeah, they're rough and they're beating us up and stuff, but, like, he should be the guy drawing those fouls and then getting them riled up and, like, getting in their face kind of and being that that deli that we used to love, um, kind of like that Lamella role that we uh, – that we I feel like we're kind of lacking that in this squad too. But we don't have anybody who just, like, goes at them uh, in, like, a aggressive way. Romero, uh, but he's – Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's very sad what's happened to Delhi and where he's at in his career. And like Joe said, like, we just can't even move him at this point. Like who wants him? Who want, who would pay any money for him right now? I mean, he does nothing, maybe a team in Italy or something might want him, but, and I mean, we only spent 5 million on him. So anything is going to be a return. So you think Levy would be ready to hit, you know, accept anything. Um, MVP, I think I said uh, Dyer. I do want to give a shout out to Oliver Skip, though. I think he played very well. Uh, he was a highlight on the on the pitch, especially for being a young guy and just saying, you know, I don't care that this team is fifth in, in their shitty ass league. I'm going to go out and you know play my heart out and put it all out on the pitch. I uh, I like that shout out. Um, let's go to Joe next. Yep, I'm with you, Kevin. I thought Skip was good. Um, <laughs> I use the word good in very the loosest possible terms. In relatively speaking, Skip, I mean, he always tries his best, doesn't he? And, it, and he, he did okay. Um, I actually thought Lucas did well when he came on. He made the goal. Like you're saying, Kevin, Lucas didn't treat the opposition with contempt. He wanted to engage in the match. He did stuff. He drove at them. You know, yes, he makes... Sometimes the final ball is disappointing. Sometimes his decision-making suspect, but he always looks motivated and, and you know, he he made a good impact. Um, so I'll say Skip as well, and uh, Mara is second. Rick? Yeah, I'll just, uh, the, the only note I made for myself was just that the early subs made an impact in the game. So since nobody's mentioned Sonny, I'll, I'll mention him. You know, he... Made he did a lot. He made a lot of runs. He was playing some nice through balls. Um, he got let down by a couple of bad passes, I think. Um, but just the energy he brought, it wasn't even the quality, but we just needed that. So um, I was going to praise Dyer, even Davies, who you know was kind of anonymous after he came on, but just the way that the momentum turned when those came on, I just wanted to give credit to all of them. So I'll just throw Sonny out there since you guys have already touched on the others. Yeah, and well, and I'll t- I'll take Dyer for the same reasons that uh, you guys mentioned earlier. Like, like he he kind of uh, steadied the ship when we, when we were in a bad place after the send off and uh, kind of lo- had lost control of the match. So, but I'll I'll give uh, I'll give Dyer my uh, MVP just because I don't think anybody looked particularly great here. But I do agree with what you guys are saying about Oliver Skip. Um, well, uh, um. That wraps up the half. We do not have a halftime segment, so I'm just going to roll into the next conversation. And I know you guys did kind of want to talk about 
how we might look to fix this problem. Uh, we are going to be coming into the window opening up soon. Obviously, Paratici's working. We mentioned that. Let's just a quick five-minute conversation because we'll have uh, more detailed conversations when we get closer to the window. But, but how do you think we fix this? What do we have to do? Uh, what types of players we have to bring in? I know Conte said that he wants two center back. Um, obviously, I think we need midfield. But wh- where do you think the problem areas are, uh, Kevin? The hard part about this whole thing is that, like, everybody knows we are in like absolute dire need of the people that we need. Right. So like, nobody's going to come at a good price. Um, I think the most we can hope for out of the January window is one, maybe two players that actually like come in and make an immediate impact. I think that's gotta be one center back and hopefully a midfielder. Um, I think the center back is the, as much as our midfield's a problem, I think getting a center back in now, is almost more important uh, to just solidify Conte's system and uh, settle in for a half season at center back, get somebody some minutes with the, whatever the three is going to be. And then, you know, if we can get a midfielder, great. I just want at least one major impactful player in one of those two positions in January. I don't want to get my hopes up um, because not a lot of stuff, not a lot of stuff gets done in January. So I'm just going to press the brakes. Hope we get one or two guys. And if that happens, I'll be happy. Rick. Yeah. Yeah. One, uh, I actually hadn't heard Conte say he wanted two center backs. That's kind of interesting to me. Um, but I, I'd be good with it. Um, hopefully uh, it's probably in line with what I was thinking. What I think we really need is just like one to get like two decent ones. We just need one really good one. Because there's kind of like a pecking order, you know, with, with these guys, right? It's almost like we've got a bunch of, you know, I, I usually like to mix in an American sports metaphor at some point when I'm on the show. And it feels like we've got a bunch of like three, four, five got, you know, pitchers in the rotation, right? We don't have that number one ace. Maybe Romero will be that, but, you know, we haven't seen enough of him yet to know that. But, you know, we've got plenty of depth there to play this back three. We've got plenty of depth. We have the numbers. We just don't have the quality. So I think if we got one top-notch guy and kind of pushed everybody else down to the pecking order that they belong in um that kind of helps to solidify all that and then maybe you go out and get another one you know in the off season if you need to for me when i i started to put together this list of who do we need to sell who do we need to bring in who's a maybe all the cells are midfielders like we just we have no depth or creativity or any of the answers that we really need in there so the three guys i think have to go and i don't know if they will but, you know, Winks's time here is done. I think we all know that. Delhi's time here should be done. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. And the other guy to me, you've heard me, you guys have heard me complain about is LaCelso. Like, like, what is he? What is he supposed to be good at? He's been with us for over two years. It's what, two and a half years now? I could not tell you a damn thing about what he is supposed to be good at. Okay. If you've got a good player on your hands, you should at least see a flash of it somewhere, right? You should at least see you know, a a game where he just plays out of his mind and he shows you what he has to offer and maybe he just can't do it. Hell, even Winks does that, right? He'll have one good game out of 10 and you'll think maybe there's something there, but it's just never going to be consistent. So um, that's where I would focus, you know, heavily is just getting guys in better two-way players and and more creative players in in the midfield. And by clearing out those numbers, um, those those are the areas I'd be looking to backfill. Joe? 
it's two and a half years since we signed Lo Celso and he's got I'm I'm almost certain he's only ever scored one Premier League goal. That's incredible, isn't it? You know, you got this guy. The the word was at the time it was between him and Fernandez between you know who <laughs> we're going to get. How many goals has Fernandez got in in that time? One goal in the it's yes. Uh, I won't go on a tangent, but suffice to say, I agree with you uh, absolutely, Rick. And what's more frustrating is for Argentina, he's like an integral part of their team. He's that, and this is the thing is like. You know, you hear all these excuses made for players like Delhi gets this a lot. Oh, they played him in the wrong role. You know, it, it's not quite the position that he needs to. Lacelso, he needs to play in a different. When you're playing against team, I know Lacelso wasn't playing on Thursday, but he has been involved in these matches historically when we've lost to shit teams. How can he not? Mot- how can he not do a job against those kind of opposition when he's an integral part of Argentina's team? So I think you're right, Rick. I think with Lacelso, it's just a time to cut our losses there um that transfer window was it's got to go down as the worst transfer window ever we signed session who's been he, he's done nothing in two and a half years i know he's well he was young <laughs> was young when we signed him he's not so young now but he hasn't done anything for this club in two and a half years lacelso same and don Bele, yes he scored a nice goal at sheffield united and against wickham you know but it's not really what we paid our record transfer fee for and Jack Clark, who people tend to forget exists, we paid, I think, something like 12 million for as well. So that window was disgraceful. Um, to answer your question, Anthony, sorry to go on a rant there. Um, uh, two centre backs for me is the first thing. Two, um, it's going to be two. And because the reason is Conte's system depends on centre backs who can do two things defend well, obviously, but also play the ball. They need to be ball-playing centre-backs. And you see that with Romero. That's why Davinson, his errors are one thing. But the fact is, I think it was Rick said earlier as well, he has absolutely no confidence on the ball. And uh, this formation that Conte plays depends on the centre-backs being comfortable on the ball. So this is where Tanganga, who I actually like in a lot of respects, he kind of falls down here because he's a good defender, just defending, you know, in a purest sense. But he cannot really play in football. He looks uncomfortable when he has it at his feet. Um, I don't really have any names in mind for centre-backs, but that's the, the type of player we'd be, we'd be looking at, I think, as a priority. In midfield, I think uh, Frank Kessie from AC Milan, his contract expires. And it, there's words that, the word is that we have made contact with him with a view to to signing him. He'd be a good a good sign and he's a good player for Milan. Um, I don't really have any other names other than that, but I think, yes, centre-back and midfield is the... I, I'm happy with our fullbacks. I think the fullbacks are good. Emerson and Regulon, I'm okay with them. I'm good with Lloris. I think we should give him another contract, but it's centre-back and midfield for me are the, are the key areas. Uh, Kevin? I just was going to mention, I just read that Kessie said he's not going anywhere in January and that he's going to run out his contract with AC Milan, so he will go on a free. Um, so there's nobody, he said he's not making a decision in January of where his future is. So that's that's just going to make it harder to get him though, right? Because everybody's going to be in for him. So I don't know if we can, you know, pull that off. I almost feel like we should just like throw some money at AC Milan and see if we can like talk him into coming in January before he's actually on a free because it's going to be even harder to get him at that point, I think. But yeah. I do, from what I've read and the highlights on YouTube, I've seen not like I watch a lot of uh, AC Milan. Milan matches, but he looks to be like he could help us some. 
Yeah, I, I I think you guys are dead on with what we need to do. Um, I think Con- Conte is going to demand what he wants. I don't think we'll be able to get all this window for sure because uh, winter window is always that way. Um, but uh, by the summer, he better get what he 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 wants to put this squad together. I think. Um, but let's move the conversation along. We have two two matches to preview this this week. Um, both of them Premier League matches um, as we come into this uh, winter period just before the holidays. Things kind of get congested uh, with League Cup matches coming up and everything like that. But these are both Premier League matches that we're talking about. So uh, first, uh, this Thursday, um, and we're the only Thursday match. I think everybody else plays Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Um, we take on Brentford at home. Um, uh, th- that's uh, 1.30 here in Chicago. Currently, they sit 12th place in the league. That's 16 points, four wins, four draws, five losses. They they uh, they were able to beat uh, Everton this this past Sunday. Prior to that, they had to draw a loss, uh, draw two losses and a win going backwards. Um, they have upcoming leads uh, away on Sunday, so they also have a Sunday match coming up. Um, top goal scorer is Ivan uh, Tony with four. Um, and we've only taken them on once in recent years, and that was uh, the, the League Cup match that we, we beat them 2-0 in uh, January of last year. Um, so what do you guys think on this Brentford match? Um, let's start with uh, Joe. Yeah, well, so we got two home games in quite quick succession. Um, I Brentford are a funny one because they were – they kind of exceeded expectations in the first few games, and then they've been a little bit more inconsistent since then. I watched their game against Newcastle. It was a really good game a couple of weeks ago. It ended 3-3. Um, they're a good footballing team. I think they'll come. They will. They won't have any fear. And that's the thing now. We're, teams are not coming to Tottenham and been afraid like they were back in you know, 2016, 2017 and all that. They, they're coming now thinking we can get a result against Tottenham. They know that the crowd will turn if they grumble a bit if we're playing badly. Um, so I think, they'll, I think it'll be a good game. I think they'll come and try and play an open game and attack us a little bit like Leeds did on last Sunday. You know, they came at us in the first half. I kind of see this game a bit similar to that. I think they'll have a go at us and it'll be, a you know, a, a pretty good game, I, I think. Um, I just wish we had Romero. I'd be so much more confident with him at the back. I just think that back three for us is weak. And I think Tony is a good enough striker that he could uh, cause us problems. Rick? Yeah, no, Joe, I, I like that you compared him to Leeds um, because that's who, like when they were coming up, that's kind of who they reminded me of this year. They were like the no-brainer to pick to not get relegated right back, right? They've they've been a team that's been building slowly the right way for the last few years, and you've seen them make some nice runs in the various cup competitions. You know, they kind of went out and, and, you know, easily won promotion last year. So the, they're a team that's been solidly put together, and then they didn't just, like, splurge on a bunch of new guys when they got up here, right? They're a team that's played together for a while, and they got some good players. So I agree that, that they'll attack us like that, and, um, you know, hopefully we'll get a, a similar result against them. So um, I'm sure that this is a two-game stretch where everybody kind of had it circled on their calendars and said, oh, man, six points for sure. But Brentford's, you know, they, they, they were on a bit of a losing streak. They won last week, uh, last weekend, so they might be a little confident. And then Norwich, uh, I, I watched some of their match last weekend. 
Dean Smith has already got them playing, you know, like a hundred percent better. So they're, they're not exactly going to be a pushover either. So what might've looked like six easy points, um, given how we're playing and how they appear to be playing. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little dicier than, than I think we were going to hope it was going to be. Uh, Kevin. Yeah, I was going to kind of mention the same thing Rick just did. Um, going into these, you know, looking at the schedule, these were two that looked fairly not too scary. Um, I, I still think Norwich is not great. Um, but like Rick said, the way we're playing and how, what Joe said, nobody's coming in scared against us. So, uh, you know, the main thing is, is I want to see the lineup. I'm very interested to see, is he going to put out the exact same lineup he was going to put out against Burnley? Is he going to make any changes? Um, you know, I would, this is a, these two games are games that we can really try to settle our defense in, try to get a couple clean sheets, maybe get Harry going, scoring some goals. Um, Cause that's what, yeah. If we could just get that going, Harry scoring, I feel like in the league, that is going to, I mean, that sounds like such a madness. like, duh, if you score goals, like you're going to win games. But like, that is what we're missing, right? Like that we're missing that like killer instinct. Like even it's, it really feels like Harry's almost lost that some. He's almost scared to shoot a lot of times. It feels like this is a game where he just needs to let loose and start like firing. Like we just, we need shots on goal. Uh, we mentioned in the mirror game, we didn't have one in the first half. We only had three in the whole game. Like this is a just, it, it wasn't just a Nuno problem. Like this has gone over into Conte as well. Like we need to get some sort of offense going. Um, and if we can settle our defense and, you know, that not be a worry moving forward and somehow connecting our midfield to the attack in these next two games, you know, sh- these are two teams that we should be able to do some things against, right? Like Brentford is, like we said, I think Brentford will play very open. So we can, you know, counter there, and we have the we have the ability, we have the players for a counter attack. Um, so let's hope that that's how it goes. Uh, yeah. Rick, quick response, and then I'll let you roll into your prediction. Sure, sure. Yeah. No, I was just going to say I, I do feel kind of good about going into that Brentford match because since we didn't play, we're obviously going to be much more well rested. That probably gave Conte, you know, a little bit more time on the training pitch to work with the guys on stuff. I did notice some new attacking patterns in that Murrah game that we really haven't seen all season where we were doing a little bit better job of kind of attacking through the middle, but then not making the next obvious pass like our the midfielder that comes to get the ball would kind of take a dummy step one way and switch it back and, and kind of go the other and catch the defense off guard. So I feel like I was starting to see the makings of some Antonio Conte build-up play. Um, and and it, for the most part, like it, it worked pretty, you know, it obviously didn't lead to, you know, uh, an end goal, but um, it looked like, you know, it was doing a better job of breaking down, you know, that that middle part of the patch that we, we've been so lost in all season. So hopefully, you know, having a full week of, of training and, um, you know, the teams that we're playing here, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little optimistic about where we're headed, um, you know, with the new manager. So. That the the Rick, you just mentioned something that I I've been saying that all season exactly the pat, patterns of play under Nuno, and it and to be fair, not we similar, had some. No, we had none. We had absolutely <laughs> zero. I've, it was unbelievable because Mourinho's idea, which to be, you know, it wasn't great football, but you could kind of see what he was trying to do, like just 
very, very defensive low block and just let Kane and Son run riot. That was his idea. And it didn't happen every game, but they did link up really well. And we got some some good results, you know, and then it tailed off. But Nuno, he, I don't think he even had them training attacking football. I, I'm convinced of it because there was absolutely zero patterns of attacking play. Like, if forget comparing us to Liverpool and City and even teams like that. But even if you look at, like, Newcastle or like Norwich, you know, the worst teams, they at least have idea. They know what they're meant to do, don't they? are not very good at doing it, but you can see what they're you can see what they're aiming to do. Under Nuno, it was just I've never seen a team more devoid of any like ideas. What's it was it was absolutely tragic. And that's carried over into Conte a little bit because Conte can't fix that overnight. You know, he's he's been said himself, I'm not a magician. Um, that takes time to fix. And Yes, I think you're right, Rick, that there's the green sprouts of recovery and that you are starting to see. And against Leeds in the second half, that was positive, wasn't it? We did. I know the first half wasn't wasn't great, but the thing with Conte's football is he's very, um, what's the word? He's, he's very like mechanical with his, it's, it's almost a robotic thing. It's like yeah. a lot of it's kind of slow passing. You know, it can look a bit boring at times, like we're not going places, but it's all about pulling the opposition out of position. There is there is actually a plan there, as opposed to Nuno's football, which was just like, uh, I don't even know what that, that was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we've got to be patient with that. We can't expect Conte to fix that overnight, and let's let's see what he brings in. Um, in a way, these games of... The, these two games would be better served for us a bit later in the season when we've allowed things to click. You'd almost rather play a harder team now, wouldn't you, under Conte? And you like you almost think like go away from home to someone and maybe get a nil-nil. That would be a good game for us now. But trying to break down Norwich at home, it's we might not be quite ready to do that yet. So uh, I'm interested to see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, give me your prediction for uh, for Brentford, uh, Joe. Um, I think we're going to beat Brentford. I'm going to go two-one. Um, Kevin hit the nail on the head. We need Kane to start scoring. He's only got one goal all season that in the Premier League, which is, uh, you know, for his standards is shocking, really. And that's we rely on him so much. And I think in this game, he's going to step up and score one of the goals. And I'll say that the other goal comes from Son. We win 2 1. Okay, I like it. Uh, Kevin, let's go to you next. Uh, yeah, I was going to say 2 1 as well. Um, I'm going to say. Harry and Reggie. I like it. Uh, Rick? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was going to say 2-1-2, two, two, but now I feel like I can't. But the thing is, is like, you feel like we're going to win, but you know we struggle to score, but we also struggle to keep clean, you know, keep clean sheets. So 2-1 is almost like the only conclusion you can come to these days if you actually think we're going to win. Um, so, I, you know, what the hell? You know, I guess we can be boring and we can all pick the same thing. Um, yeah. And I'll just go. Yeah. I, Harry just, you know, he seems like he, he got off fine for England, right? It's got to happen for us at some point. We're kind of playing the same version of those two games that he played for England as far as opponents go in the league. So I'll just give a, a cane brace. I'll say, okay, I'm going to say three, two, um, similar thinking to you guys that we can't keep them off the board. Uh, just cause our defense is really not good enough at this point. Um, but I, I think uh, Conte is finally going to get the offense going here a little bit. So 3-2, I'm going to give a goal to Kane, a goal to Son, and I think Emerson gets one in this one. Um, 
Uh, I think he's been like uh, knocking and showing that he's got some uh, ability, and I'd, I'd like to see him uh, sneak one in this one. Um, so uh, we kind of already talked a little bit about Norwich, so I, we won't spend a lot of time on the second match. But this weekend, we take uh, Sunday, also at home, we take on uh, Norwich. Um, they're currently sitting 19th place in the league with nine points, two wins, three draws, eight losses. Uh, they drew the Wolves uh, on Saturday. Uh, prior to that, they did have two consecutive wins, uh, Southampton and Brentford, and then uh, they lost the Leeds and Chelsea before that. They have Newcastle coming up um, before that this match, so uh, so we don't know what the result will be on that. So they, they take them on on Tuesday. They get a little bit more rest than we do. Um, they... Um, and after us, they will take on Manchester United with a new coach. So that um, that might be a little bit more tougher uh, for us. Top goal scorer right now is Pookie with four. Um, and uh, the last five times we faced them, uh, most recently a loss in the FA Cup uh, on penalties. Um, uh, a win, a draw, and two wins before that, um, going back to 2015. So um, most of those were not recent, but the last three, uh, a loss, a win, draw were. So uh, what do you guys think on this Norwich uh, that we haven't already said? Yeah, uh, I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, I, I'm going to go against what I just said. I think Norwich right now, they've struggled to score goals. Dean Smith's really focused on trying to get them organized defensively. Um, so I, I think we can get one, but I, I don't, you know, I think this is one where I feel like they might not be too interested in coming on the road to us and, doing much attacking. So I'm going to go one, nothing to us. And I'm going to say, uh, Skippy gets, gets the one on his old mates. He breaks their heart. You know, I know how much they all love him and his contributions there. Um, but let's, uh, I, that seems like a good storybook to me for skip to get the game winner against, uh, his successful loan club team. I, I like it. Uh, Kevin. Yeah. They've only scored seven goals all year and they've given up 27, which is the second most, uh, in the league. And, that seven is by far the least amount. I think 12 is the next. Um, so this should be, uh, you know, easy three points. Uh, even with a new coach, bounce backs worn off a little bit. I'm surprised they didn't literally just get a new coach like today uh, with us coming up. But uh, I think, yeah, I don't think there's much else to, to be said other than that. Uh, my prediction is going to be, I'm going to say three nil. Uh, Harry, Son, and Hoiberg. Hoiberg. I like it. I like it. Uh, 3-0 would be awesome to see at a Spurs right about now. I think we'd pro- it would probably change a lot of attitudes if we got that scoreline. Uh, Joe? Uh, Kevin, I like your stats there, but I think we've got... <laughs> we must be one of the lowest scorers, right? I think have we only scored 11 or 12 goals in the league. I don't, we've, we've not got many, have we? We've got to, yeah, at least it's 11. Got to, We're the second 11. lowest. <laughs> I was going to say, so it's the two lowest scoring teams. So it's got to be a nil-nil, hasn't it? Let's be... Now, I mean, I'm only half joking there. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't see us winning both these games. I, I really don't. Um, just because... We just lost to a team who've got like a plumber uh, as the goalkeeper. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I think we'll perversely beat Brentford, who are a better team than Norwich, and we'll somehow mess it up against Norwich. Um, I think we'll be winning and it'll look OK and then we'll fuck it up at the end and 
make a mistake and Conte will be really angry. Uh, one one. <laughs> Who's going to score? Kane. <laughs> Unori- I'm so unoriginal with my scoring predictions because no one in our team ever scores, other than even Kane doesn't score this season. But like, if you like to Rick's point earlier about Lacelso, it's the same. Like you, you think what? A- Bergwijn's got one goal in two years. Lacelso's got one Premier League goal in two and a half years, and Don Belly scores. You know, probably he's probably our best other goal scorer because he gets four a season. Own goal. That's what I'm going to go for. Own goal. <laughs> own goals are one of our better goal scorers. So I'm going to say we're going to score our own goal, and then it, but it ends one-one because we're not good enough to beat Norwich at home at the moment. Sadly, oh. <laughs> um, I do think we win this one. Uh, but I don't think this is going to be high scoring. Um, I just don't see. A, I think they're going to play defensive in our house uh, uh, to a certain extent, as you do at the bottom of the table. And uh, we're going to struggle with that. But I do think it's going to be a one nil victory. And I'm going to give the goal to Eric Dyer, like just a header on or, or some weird play comes up and uh, and Eric Dyer gets the goal. Um, that's just a. Uh, just because I don't see it coming from uh, Kane or Son at this point, as much as I think it needs to start coming, and uh, I hope next week when we're getting together for a conversation that like we are talking differently about how those players are combining, because that's that's kind of gone downhill over recent weeks. They they used to have so much uh, um, uh, charisma together that we just don't see anymore, and we need those them to start clicking. And we need, as we've said, like the, the wing wing backs to be able to get the ball to them, and those defenders to feed the ball forward, um, in a midfield that that works, and, and that that's where I I see our biggest problem right now. I know we talked about um, needing center backs, and I do think you guys are right. Like one to two center backs in the next two windows is going to be key. Um, but I think uh, one to two midfielders is also key, and and a a forward player to to help us right the ship. But um, but as far as Norwich goes, uh, I I hope that we get these two wins that we that we really need to get to start heading in the right direction, and we're not that far off the top of the table when you look at that. We now have a game in hand, but we could start creeping back into the conversation with a few wins. And we do have this run where we have some, uh, easier, easier teams to take on at this point. So this, this is our opportunity. Uh, Rick. Yeah. That, that's the craziest thing. Every single time I look at the table, I'm like, if Conte could just solve a little bit of this and just get us even minorly click, it's right there. Like, a good second half and fourth is still there for the taking. And I just, I can't believe with how terrible we've looked and maybe we need to give Nuno a little bit of credit for grinding out so many points from so such dismal performances. But you know, we're, our points right now are are good and how we're there is mystifying. But if we can turn this around, it's all there to play for. Uh, Joe. Yeah, Rick, I was I was going to say the same um, as you were saying, Anthony. We, I mean, the the table's crazy because the the top three are like 
they may as mm-hmm. well be playing a different sport. They're so far ahead of the rest of the league. I mean, you look at other teams and like that you think would be up there, like Leicester. Leicester are a good side, but they they have not they're underperforming massively um, this season so far. We know United have got their old crazy problems going on, and they're underachieving. Um, it's painful to see Arsenal actually have picked up some points in the last sort of five or six weeks, and they're not in a bad position. If we cannot allow Arsenal to to sort themselves out and, and start finishing above us, just just we cannot allow that. So, the the this week is absolutely huge for Tottenham because we've got the two games we just talked about, which are on paper winnable home games. You know that. They're the they're the sort of games we should be we should be getting three points from both of them and then you've got um, I know you I'm sure we'll talk about this on next week's podcast but the um, the game against uh, Ren in the Conference League so the the in ten days or so we're going to know a whole lot more about how the season's going to go because this is a huge uh, set of games coming up in this short space of time yeah no good point any final thoughts before we wrap up the podcast. Uh... No, everybody's shaking their head. Well, great conversation, guys. Thank you so much to Joe, Kevin, and Rick for being on today. But that about wraps it up. So thanks to uh, Little Rick for editing and sound today. Uh, Charlie for the music. Kevin for social media. Um, Kimberly for the logo. And as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill for having a place to watch. And we will be recording some more future episodes there as well. we are trying to do one a month, so we will be back at the Atlantic recording, but we, lo- we love going there to watch there. And if you're ever in town in Chicago, definitely come on out to the Atlantic. Find our merchandise at Big Head Media. Uh, find us both on Spotify and Stitcher now. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on iTunes if you like our podcast or give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Star Spurs and our website at 4starspurs.com. Come on, you Spurs.